Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That, a podcast where we discuss films we feel may be underrated, underappreciated, or we just want to talk about them. Uh, I'm Josh Hallam, and I'm joined as ever by Alice Oliver. Alice, how are you? I'm pretty good, thank you, Josh, and yourself. Yes, I'm very good. I'm very excited. We're uh, we're joined by a very special guest today. Um, he's a comedian. He's a podcaster. He's a he's a YouTuber, um, and he's an Arsenal fan. Um, Jim Campbell, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for Hello. coming on. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's a nice opportunity to sit about talking about films, which probably you know I'd be doing it anyway. So there you go. Where do you rank yourself in those? So you got comedian, podcaster, YouTuber, Arsenal fan. Where, where's the, the top? Well, one? unfortunately, because of recent, well, not even so recently, more global events, I've done three stand-up gigs since March. So I'm sort of an involuntarily retired stand-up at the moment. So that has to um, sadly <laughs> come quite down the list. Um, I think. Uh, I suppose, I mean, YouTuber would have to come after that because that's relatively new. Podcaster after that, and then at the top, Arsenal fan because that is just indelibly stained into my soul, <laughs> whether I like it or not. And sometimes I do not. <laughs> Has that been hard, not being able to do stand-up, like not having the crowds and stuff? I feel like that must be torture. It is. It is horrible. Yeah, it's kind of. I like I said, I've done three gigs since March and that was enough to remember why it's such a buzz and why it's such a, a, a brilliant thing. And naturally you just, you know, you note down things that you, that you're thinking about that you find funny and, and the beauty of stand up as an art form. And I, I think it can be an art form, not always, but sometimes is that you might have an idea for something that day and you know that night, whether it works or not. And sometimes it doesn't and it's an avenue closed off that you don't have to think about anymore. And sometimes it does and you've got, you can build a bit out of it. And it's, that's a really exciting and really immediate thing. And, it's just you know you don't get the same over zoom so it's it's kind of i have really missed that actually yeah are you building up like a massive bank of material do you think for when we sort of start edging out of lockdown i well i'm building up a massive like it's not material yet if that makes sense because it's you've got to kind of construct all of that on a stage really to see if it to see if it works and see if it flies because you can you can plan a bit a bit that's five minutes long that has a beginning and a middle and an end and toppers and callbacks and all that but you need you need that to have a dependable laugh every 10 seconds and there's no way of knowing whether you have that in the bit you've written without road testing it so yeah you can only do so much from home but you know it'll be back 
and it'll be all right. I'm looking forward to the the Jim Campbell eight hour special. <laughs> all the stuff I did in, in yeah. lockdown. <laughs> um, so we start with a random question. Um, I'll come to you, Jim, uh, second. Alice, come to you first. Is there a hobby you didn't do as a kid that you wish you had done because you kind of don't have time for it now? I think I feel like maybe one of the martial arts, like something where you can train your brain and train yourself physically. Like when you get into your 30s and that, and I know it's not that old in the grand scheme of things, but I feel like I feel stiff. I feel achy. I feel like just having a bad night's sleep just kind of completely ruins me. And I wonder if I'd kind of got into something that just made me stronger physically as well as stronger mentally if I'd, you know, be be in a more primed for life I suppose but it's never too late is the thing and I can I could always start it now especially with you know everything that's going on people do have a bit more time on their hands so there's no excuse really but yeah I think one of the martial arts maybe even just something a bit mellow like tai chi maybe just kind of really to you know get that control and that discipline why what what was yours Josh what what do you think um... yours was? yeah I thought about martial art I wish I'd done a, I wish I'd done a martial art as well like you say it's never too late but there is stuff that you have like you have like boundless energy when you're a kid. Whereas when you're an adult, if you do have a hobby, there is that thing of if you you you're thinking it in with a, you, you're planning it around a full time job. There is that thing of oh god, not that tonight though, haven't I? I can't yeah. just go home. <laughs> I've got to go home and yeah, what? men are going to beat me up to teach yeah. me how to beat I'm, people I'm, up. I'm going to pay twenty pounds to be beaten up a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, or I do. I've always wanted to learn a musical instrument: guitar, piano, something like that. Other than the recorder, which. Uh, I didn't get that far with it. I wasn't a naturally gifted musician. Um, <laughs> but I know so, you can sing, as you told me once upon a yeah, time. I'm oh, still waiting like, for that, for that like, gig. Like an angel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jim, what about you? I think, um, I mean, I did play it a little bit, but not to, a, not to the point where I ever had a proper lesson or anything. But I think piano. I, I play guitar, but, you know, to a level of, I'm satisfied with doing this because I can't find it relaxing. And I don't play as much as I used to. But um, I think... It's a piano is a brilliant thing, and I, I'm tempted to say something like a martial art as well, but I, I just know that I wouldn't stick to that in the same way. I just, I just, know, I think I know my limitations by now. Uh, to to the point where actually, when I was a kid, I obviously wanted. To, uh, you, you've got unrealistic expectations of firstly what the world is like, and secondly yourself. And I thought like, like basically having some sort of ninja skill would be really, really useful. Like being able to like flip off of things and like do like amazing high kicks would be because the world would be like streets of rage so <laughs> in my head the way to get good at that was was to become good at gymnastics so i did a single gymnastics lesson thinking that i'd learn how to like bounce around and bounce off of walls and and just apply separate martial arts skills to that and um i tried it once and it was hard so i stopped yeah. so yeah piano <laughs> is, is, is a, in a roundabout way Um, so we'll move on to talking about this week's film. Uh, Jim, you have picked this one. You've picked uh, Perfume, the story of a murderer. So uh, spoiler warning for that. I should I should just say we're probably going to just call it Perfume. Um, yeah. Because that, that's quite a mouthful to call it that yeah. all the way through. So it's from 2006. So spoiler warning um, if you've not seen it. If you haven't seen it, um, it centers around a young man played by Ben Wishaw, who plays Jean-Baptiste Grenouille, uh, who's abandoned at birth. He's raised sort of in the Paris slums via hard labor and squalor. He's blessed with an incredible uh, sense of smell. So after smelling a young woman, this is when he's a sort of young man, this is, uh, he accidentally smells her and sort of 
kills well, he kills her basically and then he becomes consumed with this idea of pres- preserving the smell of a person particularly women which sends him down shall we say a, a pretty dark and twisted path um and that's all i'm going to say on the plot so um jim i'm quite interested with this one because it's it's um certainly an interesting film to watch so why did you pick it apart from the fact that we asked you to pick a film <laughs> well um i think obviously it's not the most obscure movie out there a lot of people listening to this will have seen it so i, I do feel a little bit um I'm, I'm not sure if it entirely fits the fits the uh brief but i just feel like more people should have seen it i think it's a it's a it's a really really good movie and I think what's what's really interesting about it as well is that it's a really good adaptation of a book that is very very difficult to adapt um, because it's it's you know it's it's from a novel about the sense of smell, which is a very very difficult thing to do in a visual medium, obviously. Um, and I think that it was they nailed it. They did such an incredible job of, of doing that. And um, I think what I love about it so much, and what the movie captured from the book as well is that it reads as if it's hundreds of years old. And the the film looks like it's exactly, you know, as if it's adapted from something that's hundreds of years old. And I I think they effectively, Patrick Suskind, when he he wrote this book, he created uh, a a kind of new and effectively kind of authentic folk horror tale that is as as kind of good as, as any sort of grim tale. Like you could... It's completely unique. It's not really. I'm sure he had his influences, but there's nothing. It's obviously drawn from. It's it's almost like a a forgotten grim tale. This this guy that can, can that can effectively perform kind of these superhuman feats where no one knows how he's doing it. And I think that's what's so frightening about Gron um, Gronui. Um, I'm going to pronounce that wrong many times over this podcast. Um, <laughs> so are we. <laughs> yeah, is that he? Uh, you know he. He can track his victims and effectively steal their essence in a way, not just where he has this huge advantage over them, but that they, where they would never even think to, to to begin to understand how he's doing it. And that powerlessness is is what find what I find makes him such a sort of frightening character. Have you have you read the book? Then I'm guessing you. Have. I have read the book. Yeah. Is it is it and a I, lot different or no? It's a very very faithful adaptation. Obviously, there are certain bits that that have had to been had to have been cut out for brevity. But generally speaking, it's it's really high up there with with um, faithful adaptations. I always think the kind of the ultimate kind of faithful adaptation is probably Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is mm. almost like word for word mm. the, the same in a way that's actually quite astounding, really. Mm. Um, but this is this is kind of up there, um, from my memory at least. Obviously, I, I read the book a fair while ago. Um, but yeah, again, cannot recommend both um, enough. And I'm just kind of, like I said, I'm surprised it isn't uh, better known because it's... It's, I suppose it's a thriller in a way, and it, it's strange in that it's it's from the perspective of the murderer, but they resist the idea of making him into a sort of anti-hero. Mm-hmm. You are fully aware of how horrible he is the whole way through it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's a really like you say. He's got this this amazing. It's, he's almost like this silent apex predator type mm. who is equally menacing and powerful, but also vulnerable and quite. You know, he's not a big muscly guy. You don't get the impression he's you know, this this huge hulk of a man. But at the same time, it's not about that. It's about 
the ability is he has and it's interesting you talk about the book so I, I haven't read the book but I sort of obviously read about the book in preparation for this and it it struck me as a bit of like an American psycho level unenviable task of adapting this into a film yeah like I can imagine it was quite a difficult thing um, and, and like you say it's not it's it feels like a classic novel but the book is from the 80s yeah, it's, it's so it's really strange. I had to keep reminding myself when I was reading it that that wasn't that it wasn't hundreds of years old, you know, because it's uh, despite the fact it's you know it's it's very readable and it's very sort of quick read, but so you know, crime and punishment is surprisingly like breezy and modern and readable, and it, it's kind of got a similar kind of um, feel in 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 that sense. And I suppose that's what tricked my brain into thinking it was older than it is. Um, there, there is a scene in the movie where he goes into a cave. Um, and he's sort of almost because I guess because he's got uh, he's uh, isolated so he, he can he's not surrounded by so many smells he can almost go through his, the memory bank of his own smells and I'm so glad they kept that in the movie because it's such a strange strange part of the book and such a strange um, just, just concept in general and it would be a very very easy thing to just kind of cut out again for brevity but but they've been very very faithful to what makes the book uh, unique and I, I think that that is that's how this movie succeeds it's in keeping the the idiosyncrasies of, of, of the book because you know his his motivations as a villain are entirely his own they are in, they're entirely unique to this character there's, there's no one alive who has ever who has ever thought in that way and yet it seems completely believable and and monstrous mm. Yeah, but but also at the same time, he has a strange logic for it as well, which is mm. which is what I think is really interesting. So, Alice, have you seen this before? Before we watch this, I hadn't seen it and I hadn't heard of it. So I think it's interesting, Jim, that you think that maybe that it was maybe too seen to to be mentioned on this podcast. But no, I was going in totally blind, which I always enjoy. You know, I've got no prior knowledge of the story of the characters or anything. Um, and I do want to talk about the opening scene because, my goodness, what a way to start a film. One of the most dramatic opening scenes I think I've, I've, I've ever witnessed. So they're dragging him through, aren't they? The crowds are sort of screaming and chanting for his demise. Everybody looks disgusting. Like, you get such a feel of kind of the, the rancid atmosphere yeah. that is being projected there. And I feel like they did a good job good job of sort of carrying that on throughout, you know, um, just after that first opening sequence and you get his mum giving birth to him in the fish markets. And that is just all, it's so horrific and dark, but, you know, yeah. you can't look away. And I think it does such a good job of designing that world and just letting you know this is a horrible place where people are very, very desperate. Um, and I, th I thought that was just such a great way to start. Yeah, it <laughs> that, looks that... like it stinks, doesn't it? Yeah, which is, well, great job. Which, which is brilliant. And because I, I really enjoyed the fact that smell is obviously, you know, the, the primary theme of the film. And it's like, well, how do you convey that in a film? How do you deal with, with the sort of the feelings that smell evokes when you're dealing with the screen. So I thought that would be quite challenging, but with the, yeah, with the fish guts, everyone just looks like they're covered in shit. Like you can just, you just know, like you get such a feeling of how it would smell. And then again, when they're, um, 
when we're focusing more on the nicer smells and obviously uh, when we've got all the roses kind of being, you know, pummeled down into the kind of oils and you get the one moment where um, Alan Rickman's, not Alan Rickman's character, sorry, Dustin Hoffman's character, he smells something for the first time and it's like he's gone on this wild LSD trip and he gets all these yeah. wonderful, colourful visions and a woman comes and kisses him on the cheek. So I think they did a really good job of kind of evoking very, very strong emotions around smell which I suppose is how the main character is feeling. You know, that is his main thing in life. That is the thing that overrides his senses and, and his, you know, ambitions, really. It's all to do with smell. Yeah. Uh, so I thought they did a really good job of that. I, th- I think, sorry, in that, in that opening sequence as well, there's a, there's a bit where he's, where he's a baby and he's in the children's home and he grabs one of the, the children's fingers and his nose sort of searches it out and starts just smelling this kid's scent. And it's even, straight away it's unnerving isn't it because it's so it's it's smell it's one of the senses but putting that front and center there's something something of the sort of emotional uncanny valley about it you know where it just something seems off about it and something's frightening about it just on that scene as well in the orphanage i think one of the darkest things i've ever seen is orphaned kids trying to suffocate (laughs) an orphaned baby I yeah. was like, what? Like, we did butterfly effect on it a few weeks ago, and I thought that was dark. Was like, yeah, that's pretty, level. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, are, we have had a succession of, uh, of comedians picking, picking dark films. So, yeah, but, <laughs> but no, you're right. And it's funny because going into this, I'd only seen the, the opening scene, not because I started watching it and turned it off, but we were, I did it in film studies at college. So people were picking opening scenes and how to like establish a world and all that sort of stuff, mm. and someone picked this. And I've always wanted to go back to it, but just never just never sought it out um and since then but you're right it's such a sensory film that's what i really like about it like the the sense of smell and it is, is the main sense that they use but the fact that everyone in it depending on where the film is you can you feel like you can smell them like it's the most sensory experience i think i've ever had yeah. watching a film so so like the people in the poor part of paris the slums the fish market they look because they would be dirty and 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 sort of smelly and you feel like you can smell and almost taste them and then when you go to the wealthier part of the town or when he moves to gra- uh, grass which is in the, a wealthier part of of france um you feel like you can then smell a different smell it's really it's really strange and they do that i think the, the way they do that by changing things from the colors you know very gray and brown in paris to green and lots of sort of lovely pastel colors when they're in the the richer part of town i i thought it is really interesting like to to achieve that in a film, to make you not only feel something emotionally, but feel something almost literally with your senses. Yeah. It's, I thought that was an incredible achievement just on its own. Get this. Um, so part of it, uh, this is, again, this kind of feeds into what you're saying, because I'm damned if I can spot this part of the movie. They shot a lot of it in Spain. Part of that movie is made in a skate park. <laughs> a fucking skate park. Like... <laughs> I could watch that a thousand times and never, never go. Oh, that's it. That's the skate park. I'm going to be thinking about where that is. I've got images of like people trying to trying to like do a kickflip in the background of yeah. Ben Wishaw <laughs> scraping fat off a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's um, and they do it as well with the camera work as well. Like like you say, the the scene where the baby grabs the young boy's finger, it's so visceral but it's mm. such a simple idea. Everyone knows that image of a baby grabbing a hand or a finger because it's everyone does it. Like, I've got a baby niece, and the first thing you do is get them to <laughs> like, compare your hands to their hands and go, oh, look how tiny they are, except they 
sort of flip it on its head and do it in a bit more of a dark sort of twisted way. Yeah. There's um I th- I think one you know one of the great movie monsters is obviously the 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 xenomorph from Alien and I read something once saying that part of the reason it's so unsettling is because it doesn't have eyes. Mm. You don't know how it knows you're there and that's what's scary about it. I think there is that sense with that scene where he's grabbing the finger that he's you know he's unseeing but he's still completely aware of what's around him in a way that you can't second guess. Yeah, it's a little bit like um like they say with with a quiet place like you can't they can only hear you so you have to be quiet quiet or another sort of movie monster if you were like Anthony Hopkins purposely doesn't blink when he's playing Hannibal Lecter All right. so when he is staring at you it's so unsettling because you're sort of going oh like yeah but like, you I mean you wouldn't necessarily notice that though would you you would no. just know that something's awry mm. Mm. that's interesting I love the quiet place and I know there's a second one coming out but I think they've missed a, sh- a trick by not doing the Dwight version. We've we've seen him, <laughs> but let's visit Shroot Farms. A quiet place too. I want to see what went down there. I'd pay He'd twice. He'd be the monster in that, right? Yeah, Dwight exactly. Would be, you're running from Dwight, right? For sure. <laughs> Chasing after people with beats. Um, did you? I, one thing I thought it did a good job as well was was. It was all quite overpowering and overwhelming when he was in Paris and the slums of Paris. So that that idea of sense being the main, the, the smell being the main sense, it is when you smell something that's really bad. It is so overpowering. It's sort of all yeah. you can feel, and 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 that idea that senses can affect each other, I, I I thought was really interesting and how they changed it from like when he's in isolation. It feels like he's so isolated because it's, they take the soundscape of a poor part of the city and then they contrast it with when he's in a cave like you say and then they contrast it again when he's in grass so i thought it was really interesting that sense of overwhelmingness mm. if you will there is there's a lot going on with the sound as well like mm. so much like everything is given a sound effect i was listening like every single footstep it, you get in a sound and every, i think that has a lot to do with kind of conveying what he feels about smelling because you get a lot of the sniffs and then it's like when he smells something that he likes you'll get like a like a little breathlessness and stuff mm-hmm. so there's so much going on visually and audio wise to kind of convey the essence of smells yes yeah. and a lot of squelches yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot there's any sort of slightly disgusting sound uh, <laughs> will be used to to unnerve you and i think you know it is it's a horrible film in a lot in a lot of ways the story is horrible he's horrible he's irredeemable um but i think i enjoyed the way it unsettled me because it did it in a very intelligent way and it's it, it unfolds as it's always going to unfold as kind of as, as fairy tales do i suppose and there's sort of something morbidly fascinating about that it reminded me and this is a, a you know a very very different sort of thing but there's a book called uh, hangover square by patrick hamilton um which is a very, very bleak, depressing book. And it's one of those things where it's the, the, the main character has a sort of disastrous life and you can see you can see two steps ahead of him, basically. He's too stupid to see why he's getting into all these troubles. So it makes the book really predictable in a way that you can't put, put down, which is a strange thing. And it, it's a similar device here. And I just found that I couldn't look away from it. And I guess in the age of the smartphone, that's kind mm. of better than ever, isn't it? Maybe that's maybe that's why everyone's starting to murder now. Yeah, so much, so much true crime. But you know, I know what you mean. There's that sense of like when you like you know when people slow down for car crashes. Yeah, like you, like you can't look away. It's so dark, but there is also a morbid curiosity that that everyone has, I suppose, in 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 their own way. 
Um, it's quite wacky as well, isn't it? And I don't know if that's the right word to use, but, you know, bodies in vats. And then when he goes on the sort of killing spree and he's killing woman after woman and just leaves them naked out on the street for people to find, like, it's just kind of, it's just sort of chaotic and a bit crazy. And it's just really interesting to have that alongside this this darkness that's going on as well. Um, yeah. I really loved the transition as he was moving from Paris into the cave and then eventually into the sort of, you know, lovely lavender fields and this gorgeous greenery and grasslands. And you sort of get like his metamorphosis almost as well. It's like like he started off kind of small time criminal and then really just kind of went for it after he'd kind of come out the cave, like he come out as a monster and yeah. then nobody was safe. And it was just this awful crisis. And, you know, the women are dying and we must protect them. But I loved I loved all the naked ladies bodies just left everywhere. It was just so it was so intense and it was just so much. Yeah. The sense as well is that from his perspective, he's just putting the bins out. You know, he doesn't need that anymore, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, just killing another woman, whatever, you know, Tuesday, isn't it? Got it's a like, sense, like, so... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it, it does a really good job, which is also sort of quite eerie considering everything that's happened in the last year or so. It does a really good job of capturing both sort of frenzy and paranoia. Mm. So it starts, like you say, it starts slower and then before you know it, he seems to have killed about 20 women. And then like, the more he does it, the sort of, not the number you become to it, but you just go, oh, he's killed another one. Yeah. Whereas, you know... It, the first one, it's like, that's a person. And Alan Rickman's daughter, that's a person. Yeah. But in between, there's like, well, there's just just women. like, And it just becomes this almost frenzied feel to it, which is also sort of concreted by the music. Like, that, there's a metronomic, like, build-up, like a that they use all the way through it. And, and, and it's really unsettling. But also, when he's happy, the music's really quiet, a lot quieter as well. It's a lot more sort of mm. strings and uplifting. Obviously, he's not that happy throughout the film, but you really notice it when they start trying to build tension. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the building of tension works throughout the movie. It's very, very well paced and well scripted because I think part of part of exactly what you're talking about, why by the, you know you almost become numb to the scale of what he's doing by the end, is because effectively. You know, every everyone he meets after he leaves them has has a horrible time because <laughs> you just know wherever he is, chaos follows and misfortune follows, and he he's like a walking curse. So the film builds into the crescendo of him just, you know, he's he's got more of a purpose now. He, he's got he's got people around him. Of course, that they, those people are going to suffer. And, and it's funny, isn't it? Why is that so gripping? Why is it so? It's it's awful. It is. It's just I just think it's a morbid curiosity everybody has. It's it's like you say people it's like they can't look away from bad stuff happening. And I suppose there's there's much more bad news in the world certainly at the moment than good. But you still read it. Yeah. It's so it, it is. It's strange. It's almost like you can't look away. And especially now when we're so flooded with information because we can get it from the palm of our hand in our in our phone. But you, you it's interesting you say because I I didn't look at my phone a lot apart from make, to make the odd note. Yeah, but I I try not to look at my phone, especially when we're doing it for this. But you know, what can I say? I'm I'm plugged into the Matrix. <laughs> oh yeah, it's hard, <laughs> like, isn't like it? Everybody. So, but yeah, what did we think of? Because um, this, this is probably the longest we've talked about a film without touching on any acting. So, what did we think of particularly Ben Wishaw's performance? Because he has a lot to do with not a lot of script for him. Yeah. I mean, th he doesn't speak a lot, is what I mean. 
And that, that was one of the challenges, obviously, for the filmmakers. And I know I forget the names of the people involved, which is shocking, really. But um, one of the people that was originally attached to it had an unusual narrative style that they tried to use to get around that. It was decided that it didn't quite work for that. And event, that style was eventually what became the diving bell and the butterfly. So oh, right. a lot of people um, tried very hard to, to get around this, this issue of a, a non-communicative protagonist, I suppose, slash antagonist. Um, but I think that they did it very They did it well, and I don't know how to explain how they did it. They've, they've hidden it almost. It's a lot you know of I mean? sort of. It's it's almost like it's almost like a mime, isn't it? It's like yeah. it's a lot of posture and face and looking. Obviously, the camera does a lot of work, but I mean, Ben Wishaw is is a terrific actor, and he's one of these people who seems to be able to do whatever he wants. You know, he's in James Bond, and then he's in this, and I'm not there, and David Copperfield, and and all that yeah. sort of thing. So it's interesting because with the director. I think it's Tom Tickwer. I only yeah. know he did Run Lola Run. He's done this, and I think he did some of Cloud Atlas. I know he's done other stuff, but not none of that comes to mind. So it's interesting you say that 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 went on to be to become another film. It's just it's interesting how films are so collaborative that they take little pieces of ideas and put them together. But what, what did you think of Ben Wishaw's performance, Atlas? Oh yeah, fabulous, brilliant. I mean, I didn't like him at all. Exactly. And that's what you want, right? I, I did find, I find that a bit tricky sometimes when you don't like, like I didn't really like any of the characters. Like I wasn't rooting for anyone. You didn't feel like you were on anyone's team. And sometimes with that, you feel like you're not super connected to the film and maybe you're not quite as engaged. But obviously you're not meant to like him. And that's, 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 that's a good thing. Um, really, I really want to talk about the ending because the ending, it it just made me retroactively see the film in a completely different light. Like, I wasn't expecting it at all. I was just thinking, oh, he's, he's going to get strung up, they're going to murder him, and, you know, the end. So for it to end like that, I was just really surprised. And I, I can't remember the last time I was really surprised by a film, mm. but I just did not see that coming at all. Yeah, it is a bit of a curveball. Visually, it's incredible. There are 750 mm. people involved in that scene, apparently. Just really, really out of nowhere. And it is, as you say, you think it's going to go one way. The movie directs you in this, in this, this way um, the entire way through it. You get this huge curveball. You think, no, no, surely, surely he's going to be made to, to pay for everything he's done. And then on top of that, there's another curveball right at the end where. Mm. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Where he's sort of the master of his own, I, I suppose, comeuppance. Yeah, he's completely in control of everything. It's it, they, they sort of turn him from a, a poor street urchin into almost a, a god. In the mm. space of two and a half hours, because, like you say, when the sort of shall we say the twist happens, it's about two hours in, and you know yeah. it's two and a half hours, and you sort of going, well, this this can't be. Like, is there loads of credits? Because, and then that happens, and like ah, and then that just sort of brings a really strange element to, to the way it finishes. Good as well, but but unexpected, I suppose. Yeah. So I think I, I remember in the book that seeming less of a shock purely because I, th- I think that's more to do with the, the differences in form between a movie and a novel. But as people coming to it, not knowing what happened, did that... Because I, I, I wonder if there's a danger of that breaking the uh, your suspension of disbelief. Did it, did it seem too much or did it... Or, 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 or you know, I guess, did you enjoy where the story went at that point? For me, for me, it did make me, it made me appreciate the film more because it was such a surprise. And you just, you get to a point where you feel like you just aren't surprised that often anymore. It's like, even even in the films that do have a twist, it's kind of, everything's still in keeping with it. And you're like, oh yeah, there were clues that this was going to happen all the way along. Um, and I just didn't see it coming at all. And it just made me reevaluate the whole film. Makes you reconsider the genre as well, yeah. which I thought was interesting. And it just reminded me, it reminded me a little bit, some of the scenes, especially because of the amount of bodies that were there, I think, as well. Reminded me a bit of Mother. Have you seen that with Jennifer Lawrence? Kind of towards the end. Oh, okay. But it's just, it's all, you know, it's all a bit much and there's loads of people and it's quite frenzied and it's just a bit crazy. Um, And I just really appreciated that, I think, because I wasn't sure... I wasn't really sure if I liked the film. Like as it was going on, I was like, I was like, am I enjoying this? Like, who is this for? Like, do I like these characters? Like, you know, and I would just kind of, I guess I didn't really connect with it. And then that happened. And I was like, oh, cool. Nice. Surprise, you know? Yeah. It's like that fairy tale you were talking about, Jim. It's like the fairy tale element, except it's for, well, shall we say grown-ups? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I did like it. It's, it's always difficult because I liked the really surreal and fantastical element of it. It was sort of like, I like a film that makes you feel something that sort of makes you go, what? Like, like in that, a bit like um, a few months ago, we did Lost Highway. And if you've not seen that, literally halfway through, it just, it just completely changes to a diff- almost a different film. 
Yeah. And um, so I like that. It's difficult to criticize any elements of plot in a film that's such a faithful adaptation because you can't go, you can't say anything. Because it's like it's like being like, well, Snape had never killed Dumbledore, would he? And then it's like, well, he does in the book. So that's why they've done it in the film. So yeah. spoilers for Harry Potter. <laughs> if you've not seen that. Um, but so, but I did... Th- I did enjoy it because I think what I like about it is then they then go on after the big scene to a almost a coda, which is the scene you're talking about where he takes control of his own de- uh, destiny. And that I found really interesting. That It moves from fairy tale into Greek tragedy, that sort of yeah. Oedipus type, well, you know, it was never going to work, so here we go. Yeah, kind of it circles back in on itself. And yeah, yeah it's... Uh... Yeah, there's, there is. I guess that's where that sense of inevitability is is satisfied, mm. really, isn't it? In that final scene. So we'll move on, I suppose, to things we we kind of we we kind of didn't like the, about the film. I'll come to you first, Alice. Was was there anything that you particularly didn't like about the film? I thought there were some elements of the script that were quite weak. I felt like a lot of the dialogue didn't feel like real conversation, and so it just really felt. Like, it just reminded you that you're watching something that has been scripted. Um, But, of course, you know, because it was so surreal, you know, it's not meant to feel natural. Um, I don't understand why Dustin Hoffman was doing an accent and nobody else was. Yes. I thought that was a bit odd. Everyone else was a Cockney living in France. And then he came out with this, like, Italian accent. I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. And it wasn't the best Italian accent either. So I found that a little bit distracting. Um, the moment where he where he commits his first murder with the girl that he's following around the alleyways, I just kind of I wasn't really sure how to feel about that. Like it, it felt like he just put his hand on her mouth for thirty seconds and then yes. she's dead. And I was like, huh. And I just sort of di- I didn't really I didn't really buy it. I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I would agree on that. I think uh, it, it was one of those very silly movie deaths, wasn't it? Where and also I suppose it, the. Part of the, the the lens through which women are seen in the movie is that they are very delicate and dainty and mm. almost like flowers, literally in the sense that they're being pressed in some cases, and that's perhaps yeah. you know a little bit. Um, it, it serves the plot in a way that doesn't necessarily reference reality. But yeah, I I, I thought that as well, and I completely agree with you about Dustin Hoffman's accent as well. But I, just, I guess you know he can't sound American. Um, so I, I guess he had to do an Italian accent, but did he do an Italian accent? It was just like vaguely, broadly European, <laughs> wasn't it? A bit. Yeah, yeah. I can... I'm not, too, not too sure what it was. Um, and I suppose what you say there about the women being like dainty little flowers, and I suppose it was it was a way for him to kill her without leaving a mark. Like he didn't, you know, it wasn't a throat slitting, and there was blood everywhere. He didn't strangle or beat it to death yeah. or anything. It was just this very sort of this delicate little hand on the mouth, and then she's dead. Yeah. But yeah, I think no. isn't it? Isn't the idea that he's accidentally smothered her? I think which so. I, I thought that I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of ways to kill people, but an accidental smothering does seem <laughs> an unlikely occurrence yeah. to me. I don't know. Unless it's that film trope where apparently if you just sort of move someone's chin to one side, you break their neck, which is oh, yes. what they do in a lot of, a lot of action <laughs> yeah, films. Yeah. Or you shoot someone once from a distance and they fall <laughs> over and are immediately stone dead. Yeah. <laughs> but I know. Would you say there was an element, particularly for yourself, Alice, of there's an element of the male gaze through the film a little bit? Because that's something I kind of noticed. And I watched this with with my other half and she she did mention that a little bit again trying not to spoil the ending but the big scene that we're discussing she sort of said well 
basically she was like, there's a lot of tits there, but, <laughs> but where well, there's no blokes kissing, but there's a lot of women kissing. So if it's meant to be this mad frenzied, everyone sort of just loses it. Mm. Why is it only what I suppose a heterosexual man would want to see? And and I think that's an interesting point. It's just sort of standard, really, isn't it? But it didn't feel it didn't feel any more male gazy than like most other films. No, any bo- any Bond his... film. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. And because his main thing is the scent, it's not really the look of them. Even though there were sort of moments where he seems to be, you know, quite sort of turned on by mm. what he's smelling. Um, so I didn't really feel it that much. And because he's because he's quite not gross but I well I guess he is like he isn't the hero so it's like you're not thinking that oh yeah this this is how you know men of the world are supposed to see women and treat women or whatever it's like he he's just a bad guy and you don't mm. like him so I didn't really feel like it, did, it didn't bother me not as not as much as some other films for sure was it was it what about you Jen is there anything you sort of apart from what we've already touched on anything you're like mm, I'm not sure about that or I'd change this yeah, I think we have largely covered it. I think there's a very absolutely crucial and fair point about the, the scene that we're trying not to describe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's an absolutely fair criticism of it. And the, the male gaze is is obvious and and present throughout, isn't it? And um, also, I, I think a lot of... And I don't know whether Patrick Suskind was... was deliberately doing this because it would have been how the world would have been at the time or whether it's an oversight of himself a lot of the the way that women are protected in the movie is almost as if they they are relevant in relation to the men in their lives effectively yeah rather than being you know independent people who are very invested on in not being murdered themselves um which i would imagine they would be so i I think that's that is perhaps a problem um, but yeah, other, other than that, I think we've, we've covered the, the, the flaws that I, I can think maybe a little bit long, but I think it's possibly justified if you're adapting something so faithfully. I, th- I agree with you there it, it, on both counts. I do think it's, it's, it's sort of understandable if you're adapting something, especially if you really want to get the essence of the, of the book right, because you, you don't want to miss anything out. If you look at, again, and this is just the first one that comes to mind, but there's a reason why a lot of people say Goblet of Fire is the weakest Harry Potter film because it comes from one of the strongest books where they cut loads and loads out because it's it's a, such a huge book. It, it would be mm. it would be two films like the last one there, except you can't really be like one, two, three, and then two fours and then a five. You know, it's a bit yeah, it's strange. So, but for me, it's not necessarily the length. It's more there's I think there's a little bit of odd pacing. I think it, it starts really well, gets you into the world. And then I don't know when, maybe about an hour, just before he starts the frenzied sort of killings, it drops a little bit. And it, and what I noticed was there's a lot of narration, which is brilliant, by the way. John Hurt just has this fantastic silken voice. Mm. Then that disappears for a little bit, and then it comes back. And I think there's just an element of perhaps because that's been in it and so present, you lose a little bit of your grip on the film. But maybe that's supposed to be on purpose because he's losing his grip. I'm, I'm not sure. But there was, yeah, some sort of pacing issues for me a little bit, but nothing. It didn't ruin the film. It was just like something I noticed. The other thing was, it's really interesting that we've talked a lot about how you're supposed to feel about Grenouille. Because for me, you've both been very like, you know, he's horrible. He's this and he's that. And I was sort of at points like, I'm not 100% sure 
how I'm supposed to feel about him. Mm. And that's not that I think it's all right to kill women, but I didn't know if in a way you were supposed to feel sorry for him as if he just didn't know any better. Yeah, I think, is there an element that because he's he is entirely motivated by scent and capturing scent, that there's a sort of sad loneliness to him? Yeah, and, uh, there's a vulnerability. There's no, one who isn't there? Could, there's no one else on earth like him. There's no one else on earth who has the same drives and motivations of him. So I don't know if you're necessarily, you're not supposed to like him, are you? But I think you're supposed to understand the tragedy of him and yeah. perhaps, you know, recognize the tragedy of him. Yeah. And suppose... it is indeed tragic as well, isn't it? Like mm. his start in life is just awful. And for the first, what, however, like 18, 20 years, everything is just awful yeah. for him. And he's a tragedy not just for himself, but for everyone he meets. Mm. One thing one thing I did notice that uh, you just reminded me of then. So Alan, when Alan Rickman sort of gets wind that he wants to kill his daughter, so he sort of takes her away and they're off ride. They ride the horses like to the next town over and he's sort of trying to hide her away. And he locks her away in this room, but then just leaves her. Yeah. I was like, you'd stay in, you'd, either you'd hire a bodyguard because he's he's like some sort of like wealthy um like aristocrat or something isn't he so it's like so he's probably got enough cash hire a few bodyguards or stay in that room with her but yeah. he just left her in there and i was like oh well of course she's going to get killed now yeah, yeah it's not that weird to sleep in the room with your daughter if she's possibly being hunted by a maniac exactly yeah, yeah. Just so unbelievable. <laughs> that's, that's the, the that's the most unbe- unbelievable yeah. part. Not the super nose. Not the fact that he seems to be able to run fast enough to catch up with a horse at one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Um, I didn't you know what did you sort of think uh, for you, for yourself, Jim? Did you think there, is there a message for for the for, from the film, or is it just sort of there to entertain? That's uh, yes. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that because it is. Uh, it, you know, it makes it very clear that you shouldn't go around trying to capture the essence of women resulting in their death. Um, but it, it's hard, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, an un, it's a film with an unusual kind of lack of a message. I think it really does lean into the kind of the fairy tale, grim tale mm. idea of it. And I think actually that's what's quite unique about it in that it is just an unfolding tragedy, an unfolding sad um tale of horror really a sort of as i kind of said earlier on it is is like a a folk tale really a folk horror tale um so i i suppose that the the message is it's one of kind of isolation isn't it It's, it's a character study in somebody who is a complete loner there is a point in the book where he thinks about what why he's doing the things that he does and he concludes that it's just because he's evil and he's like, he's fine with it. So it is, you know, it's not a particularly nuanced uh, look at the the kind of outsider in society in a lot of senses, which he's he obviously you know acts as in in the story. Um, but I'm still, yeah, I'm still unpacking what I'm supposed to take away from it. I, I already know not to go around murdering people, so maybe yeah. maybe I don't need, don't need to overthink. It's it. up there with the top rule, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the main things. <laughs> what about you, Alice? Did you think there was a message to it at all? I I didn't feel like there was, and I feel like that's why sort of before, before the the ending happened, I was just kind of feeling like I you know I, do I like this film? Like I don't really know. I'm not really feeling it, and and so I don't, I don't really think there was a message. I think it was just I don't know. It was just it was just really interesting. It's certainly one of the more interesting films I've seen because because it left me thinking, huh? 
know? That's something I really liked about it. Like, I like it when a film stays with you. I like leaving a film and being like, yeah, yeah but what about this? Like, mm. I know we've already mentioned it, but like, that's what Lost Highway. Like, I didn't enjoy all of the film, but I like that I went away being like, yeah, but what about this? It's yeah. better than it being sort of a disposable, well, that was fine. Yeah. You know? I love that that's when you thing. you only realize two days later that you loved the movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it stays with you. You can't stop thinking, like lying in bed, being like, "Yeah, but yeah, well, how how many women did he kill? Like, what did it smell like? <laughs> so where did you first sort of watch this, Jim? Did you go to the cinema to watch it, or no? I watched you... it. Um, it was on my Amazon list for ages, and then it popped up as being available for free. So I was like, "Right, get on that." Because <laughs> I think a lot of people have the movie in that position of like meaning to get around to watching it. Yeah, um, and that was certainly where it was for me, and. So, yeah, I, 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 if if you've been considering it, then I, I hope we swayed you one way or another. But yeah, what that, genre so, would you say it is? Okay, it's a sort of historical thriller. Yeah, you know, I, I think there is an argument that that adaptations are a genre of their own mm-hmm. because a lot of a lot of movies that are quite hard to categorize are are exactly hard to categorize because they've been adapted from a different format. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, is it a thriller? I suppose it is. It it's because it is. You know, it's called Perfume, as, as the story of a murderer. So, which is a spoiler, I guess, isn't it? Um, so it is. It is. It, you know, it's almost. I think in a, in a sense, if you like mm. the movie Seven, you will feel completely at home watching this, even though they couldn't be more different. Um, and it, I suppose it's unusual that it's told like exclusively from his um, perspective as well. Perhaps exclusively, I guess you see quite a bit of Alan Rickman's character's motivation as well. Um, but yeah, I, I guess historical thriller. It reminded me. It reminded me a little bit of Sweeney Todd at times, without the music. It's the it's the sort of period of time as well where everyone's sort of got got makeup and wigs on, except they're mm. all dirty and grimy. So yeah. It's a bit like it's, you could say the same thing for certain, in no way in terms of the quality, but certain elements of like Pirates of the Caribbean. Like yes. when, like that, like everyone's got the curly wigs on, and they've got the sort of how you think of the King Louis makeup mm. and the sort of shoes and everything. Because the actual Grenier doesn't actually get that until the end. He sort of wears scruffy rags all the way through, and at the end, they kind of make him look a little bit like buttons from pantomime. Yeah, but but <laughs> but I think they do that on purpose because that's when he emerges as this sort of a angel this god this this leviathan whatever you want to call it and that's why it's so contrasting when he's dressed mm. like that it's the culmination of his power i suppose yeah it? or it's sort of his, his you know his, his manifestation of it it's it's him it's him being superman flying for the first time except he's killed 20 women yeah the idea of him is <laughs> of buttons is i feel like i'm probably gonna have a nightmare at some point when I'm watching a pantomime and he is buttons i went to watch a panto is it any good yeah there's this weird bit though where the narrator murdered 20 women all <laughs> oh, right okay <laughs> why do you do that to make a perfume what yeah, yeah i know yeah it was how much did you pay to get for that uh yeah it was expensive <laughs> yeah oh, God, let me tell you about the end Whoa. <laughs> i uh one of the questions i always think about especially when we have guests on and i don't think i've ever actually asked it before but i always write it before we do, before we even watch the film um it's just it just says pitch a sequel now <laughs> I'm not sure Lord. you could do a perfume too. Uh, I mean, they did try an American Psycho too. They did. Yeah, I think never... you could argue that. Um, I suppose you've got to go for a different sense, haven't you? 
Could you yeah. argue that the, the Ben Affleck Daredevil is a, uh, <laughs> someone who can is obsessed with taste and making yeah. like the perfect omelet or something? Yeah, yeah, I guess. <sighs> Soylent Green, I suppose. <laughs> mm. The question I'd actually I was interested to know. So I haven't actually mentioned this so far, but we've got two Arsenal fans. Here. Alice is an Arsenal fan. You're an Arsenal fan. Hence the sadness in your eyes. <laughs> um, which which Arsenal player smells the best? Do you think you can choose anyone from Curran. history? No, anyone. Oh, probably. I always thought Mark Overmars probably smelled nice. And uh, Freddie Lundberg. Yeah. As well, actually, oh, he looks oh, like you know he takes what? Care of himself. I was going to say Robert <laughs> Perez, but I think Freddie Lundberg surely smells amazing. Imagine Patrick that. Vieira. Imagine what that dressing room <laughs> smelt like in the Invincible season. Yeah. It must well, have I don't been know, like... you got Martin Keown in there as That's well. That's true, but... yeah. <laughs> it could have been like the end of the film if it smelled anything like the form <laughs> <laughs> in that season. I imagine that's just what Freddie Lundberg's life is like. Just... <laughs> Probably a curse at this point. <laughs> just tired all the time. Yeah, just exhausted. Uh, so we'll move on to talking about the critical reception then to sort of get an idea of if we think um, it is underrated. Um, Alice, you've probably not seen the critical reception, have you? No, no, I, I try to avoid it. Okay. If I was gonna, I feel like if I was going to put a number on it, I, like, I probably would give it around the seven mark, maybe like 7.1, 7.2, mm. and I feel like, I feel like that's probably what it got. Like it didn't, I didn't think it was amazing. I don't think I liked it as much as you did, Jim. Mm. Um, but there was a lot to like about it, I thought. And I feel like the sort of around the seven mark it would sit. But Jim, what would you give it? Would you score this one quite high, do you think? Like if you think about other films that you love as well, where does this sit? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm generally quite generous with things like this. I tend to like a lot of stuff. And also I think it's difficult for me to uncouple it from the book because it is a faithful adaptation of the book and I, I really love the book. And also even um, Scentless Apprentice by Nirvana is is uh, named after this book or is about this or about the book. So, And I love that as well. So it's all over the place. So I probably would... It's not... Um, I don't think it's in... I don't know if it would make my top 10. No, it wouldn't make my top 10 of movies, I wouldn't think. But I would probably give it about an eight because that's the sort of generous scorer that I am. So you both sort of... You, if, you, if you even it out, you're probably fairly accurate between you. So on IMDb, at the time of recording, it gets 7.5. Rotten Tomatoes, the audience give it 74%, but the critics score gives it 59%. Mm. So, Ooh. yeah, I was quite interested to see what you thought of that, because for me, it's the difference between the audience and the critics, again, which we've talked about before, shows how the critics don't always know how to say stuff about films, and sometimes they'll try and find stuff to say when it's not there. But I would say 59% is pretty, it's, that's too low for me. That's yeah, like, I, would that's harsh. I would say that's a little bit harsh. What were some of their criticisms, so, do you know? Well, so I got it, and it's like we've said before, it's just... They're either trying to get a pun in or they've thought of the title and then they've thought, well, I'll just reverse engineer the title into what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. So okay. one of them just says, scratch and sniff cinema. What did you think? What did you think of the film? That, that's just a title. That, that doesn't mean anything, does that's it? Just, yeah. That's like being like, oh, uh, Batman. What? Yeah, Batman was in it. Like, too yeah. many bats. I don't know. Um, but more sort of, Serious reviews said things like it. 
it sort of established itself really well, then tails off a little bit. Um, it's there's a weird one here that says that it, it's an it's an ultimately an unmistakable failure. There's a strange majesty to its epic overreaching, which I don't really again I don't really know what is that saying. Mm. Is it saying that it's got ideas of unmistakable its... failure? My goodness, that's harsh. Yeah. Well, a, there's a strange majesty to its epic overreaching. So is it is it sort of saying it's trying to do too much because it's not mm. it's not Star Wars, is it? Do you I know guess what I mean? it's like what if you don't buy into the concept or the premise, then mm. it's probably. And if it's for whatever reason not for you, then I can imagine it probably isn't the best watch. But I think they did a good job of of suspending that disbelief. I always, whenever I read a review of anything, I do. I have to wonder about the state of mind of the person who who wrote it at the time because it does make a difference to your enjoyment of it. So I watched Twelve Years a Slave hungover. <laughs> oh, the logic being, I feel terrible anyway. I know watching this is going to make me feel terrible. I might as well get it out of the way. And let me tell you, that was a mistake. Um, and I don't know, was this maybe this person was hungover when they watched the movie? And of course, you'd probably hate it. It's it's awful. It's horrible. It's not a, it's not a fun time, is it? Yeah, I can imagine you probably start questioning how much you did have to drink at the end as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, I mean, there's another one here that sort of says um, the director stays true to the source novel, but it only works on the page as faithfulness betrays him. I mean, that's a strange thing to say. How could your faithfulness betray you? It's not. Yeah, I, I guess I just, you could could spend too much time trying to be faithful to the too literal to the book maybe. and then make the film kind of cold as a as a result. But mm. I, I don't know. I, I feel they succeeded in that, as we've uh, no, established. I agree. So, right, decision time then, Alice. Is it underrated based on what we've seen and heard? If if we were going off the 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 critical score, I would say definitely underrated. But I th- I feel like the IMDb, the audience score, that that's about right for me. Um. So, yeah. So it depends which which one you want to take well, from that. What did you think, Josh? I I would say let's go let's go off the always. I would always choose the baseline of the critics. Mm-hmm. Um. So I would say it is underrated. I think. I overall enjoyed it. It certainly stayed with me, but the fact that they managed to achieve this sensory experience of smelling and tasting and and seeing everything that you see and the fact that it was almost like a, it was so immersive in that way. I'm in awe of anyone who can do that by putting something on a screen. So for that alone, I think it's, I think it's underrated and, and, and quite the achievement really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll put it. Put that one in the underrated pile as well. There we go, Jim. I'm guessing you would. You've not changed your mind. I'm guessing. No. No. <laughs> still, a, still a fan. <laughs> still. A, yeah. And again, I. I wouldn't. It's not like it's hugely underrated because, like no. I say, it's. It's adapted from a very, very famous book, and it's. It had a. You know. It, it made money. It was a big budget movie. Um. It has some very famous people in it, but I do. I. I'm surprised it isn't better known. Uh, so, Jim, thanks very much for for coming on. Uh, hope you Good enjoyed. Time, it. Hope you hope you enjoyed rewatching Perfume and and talking about it. Certainly, uh, certainly experience. Um, anything you want us to look out for? Yeah. Um, so, I I obviously um, not obviously. Um, I don't know what you know about my life. I am uh, <laughs> one of the um, one of the the members of a football podcast called the Football Ramble. Uh, you can find us all over the internet, and as well as that, um, because uh, there's no stand-up to do anymore and I need something to keep me busy, I also have a YouTube channel called We Like Old Adverts. It's exactly what it sounds like. We just find old adverts from the past, look at them, critique them, laugh at them, and some of them are 
fucking mental. And uh, we're just never going to run out of really, really mad weird ones we've, we've, we've learned. We're, we could do this for a thousand years. We'll never run out of surprising and strange, weird adverts. So yeah, you can find that on YouTube and on Facebook. What's the sort of oldest one you've found? I'm interested to know like, how far back have you gone? We actually went back to the first advert broadcast on American TV, which we haven't actually covered yet because it is it is it's for a watch company and it's just a globe spinning around with a watch company's name on it. So it's not particularly <laughs> interesting. Um, but I think probably, I think the 50s at this point are probably the furthest back we've gone, but we've, we have plans to, you know, go a bit further back than that. It's, it's, we've, we actually did cover the first ever advert on UK TV, which was for, um, toothpaste and it just nothing has changed it, it, it's like the beats are so similar to to the to adverts that you would have for toothpaste now it's it's, it's quite amazing really what's your favorite advert you've ever seen what's my favorite advert i've ever seen oh that is a, uh oh, oh thierry yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that alone because he's like a superhero to me i don't know about you alice but oh, co- well yeah person. of course my my brother met him once he lost oh, his wow. mind <laughs> <laughs> so i love the tango adverts yeah they were fun you know you've been tangos i thought they were quite funny yeah, there's, uh, there was, there's one of them that almost predicted brexit which was for the uh <laughs> the, the black current tango one which was a guy getting a letter uh, about from a French exchange student who didn't like the taste of it, and he gradually just sort of he walks out of the office all the way to the White Cliffs of Dover into a boxing ring, offers out all of France, and then two <laughs> Spitfires appear above him. It's I mean it's actually it's quite sad now when you look at how the world played out, but it was funny at the time. Yeah, it's like I, I you know again I should really have a favourite advert I think, but there are just so many mad ones to choose from, um, and quite often it's. The more insensitive, the more I like it. The more it's like a, the more it shows how much the world has moved on, the better. There's one for Tab Clear, um, and it's 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 just so chauvinistic and sexist that it's just like it's just funny to me that that was ever considered reasonable. There's a song in it. Um, it just keeps it, it, it's for Tab Clear, and it's something like, "Don't you want to be a good shape? He wants you um, in a good shape. Be a mind sticker." And it keeps coming back to this idea that this phrase "mind sticker," as if like when people are uh, are living their lives, they should want to stick in someone else's mind. It's like you, it's it's very much stop trying to make fetch happen. It's like it's just <laughs> not not a thing. Mind sticker isn't a thing. It's not anyone, not anything anyone says. So yeah, that one. It's not my favourite advert, but it it made us laugh a lot. <laughs> and so that's us, that's on YouTube. Yes, excellent. We'll, we will put a link uh, out there um, for when we release the episode, so everyone can everyone can listen to it. But I I watched a couple myself, so I would very much recommend it because it's not only is it sort of quite nostalgic, but like you say, it's a hilarious look at how things have changed and in not that much time mm. when you actually think about it. I suppose. Um, yeah. So Jim, thank you very thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Thanks, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, so there we go. Another one for the uh, underrated pile. Thanks very much uh, for Jim for, for coming on. Um, you should definitely check out uh, We Like Old Adverts and The Football Ramble as well. The two absolutely brilliant YouTube channels slash podcasts. They're well worth a look. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us and recommend a film, um, then we'd we'd absolutely love to hear from you. It's films on that pod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, uh, we're on Instagram. Um, other than that, all that remains to say is we will have a, another episode next week. Alice Oliver, thank you very much for joining me as ever. Josh Hallam, pleasure as always. 
Uh, and it's goodbye from me. Cheerio. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.